I'm Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's good to, uh, to see you, to be with you. Um, we're excited. Spring does feel like it's actually coming, and today was a little bit chilly for me, but we're, we're getting there, so I'm pumped. Um, today we're going to be doing a standalone sermon this week and next week, some standalone sermons, uh, but we are going to build a little bit on what we talked about last week in one of our core values of transformative community, and this reality that Christian community is very unique. There's a lot of places in society where we can find community. We hear that word all the time. We talk about it all the time. Anytime people come together around a common thing, typically some sort of community is built. And in these communities, there are cultures that develop. For example, a community could center around an activity like climbing or running or softball or maybe a certain hobby or interest, right? There's all sorts of communities out there that develop their own cultures. But there is a uniqueness, a unique aspect to Christian community. The commonality that we have is the redemptive and restorative person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we focus on. That's what brings us all together. The reason why we have this church community is not just because we wake up one day and say, you know what, I'd like to go sing some songs with these people. That is not why we come together. That, we do that, and it's good. But the, the fact is we have been redeemed from the debt of our sin by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now, united with him, we are adopted into a loving fellowship of God. Co-heirs with Jesus, who will live eternally, as we touched on last week, eternally worshiping together. That's a pretty big deal if you think about it. And that's a very, very unique aspect, and it's unlike any other community that you can find. One thing, one aspect of the potential culture, hopefully we have this, in our transformative Christian community that is so beautiful is on this side of heaven, we can be radically realistic, so genuine and authentic in our relationships, specifically in the fact that we all have struggles. We think all the time about the depths of the truths of what God has done in Jesus Christ when we come together, and it is amazing we proclaim all of those things, but do we live in light of those truths perfectly? Do we always live remembering the Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts if we've put our faith in Christ? We don't, because there's this reality that there's this residue of sin and evil that still is here. It's present. The world is not as it was originally meant to be. So a goal I have for today, and I pray that this is a goal we share as we go forward, is that we would not be a place that ignores the fact that things are not always good. Things are not always happy. Things are not always positive. We have and we carry burdens, things that weigh us down. And as a part of the transformative community of Christ, we're called to bear these burdens. And I would argue that this is another very practical aspect of following Jesus that uniquely distinguishes people who are, in fact, a part of the transformative community in the body of Christ. 
So we're going to give a picture today of what it might look like if we were a community that took seriously a command to bear burdens as we rest in the grace of God and Jesus Christ. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be in Galatians 6, uh, all the way at the back of Galatians there. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And like always, if you don't have a, bur- uh, a Bible today, on your way out, we have a bunch of them. Just grab one. We would love for you to take that and to dive into that. So Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his own neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful that we were able to come together. Pray that you would uh, just open our eyes, our hearts to see what it is you would have for us to learn. I pray that as we go from here, we would be uh, a people who really live out what it means to be a transformative community in the body of Christ as we love one another well, as we dwell on the gospel as we remind one another of the realities and the implications of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Can I have a seat? So we're going to be, we're going to hit on a few points today and uh, we're going to spend most of our time talking about what it means to fulfill the law of Christ by bearing burdens. We're going to spend a good amount of time there talking about the law of Christ, uh, what burdens we're called to bear, and then we're going to talk about some practical dangers that we see in this passage and end with the fact that Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer, the one who we are called to constantly, constantly rest on, and we'll talk about the gospel and how that's the centrality of what we're supposed to to give people as we bear burdens with them. So we're going to start here by just laying a quick, a quick groundwork of where we, where we get to at this point in Galatians because we would be uh, doing a great disservice if we didn't kind of catch ourselves up to chapter 6. So if you remember, the book of Galatians is a fantastic book that spends a good deal of time laying out this foundational doctrine that our salvation comes from faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. So as we go through all of this, keep that at the forefront of your mind because the real danger when we start talking about and hearing practical applications is to begin thinking, well, wow, I got to do these things in order, you know, to, to have my salvation, to make sure that I'm saved, to be justified. There is nothing you can do to work your way to God. There is nothing that you can do to come close to adding to the finished work of Jesus in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, period. That's what Paul just pounds into the Galatians' head. We preached through this book a a little over a year ago, I think, and uh, if you remember, there was a group of people, this circumcision party, or as 
uh, they've been named the Judaizers because Paul uses a verb in Galatians to, to say people uh, Judaize things. So they get called the Judaizers. And they were saying in order to be saved, you have to have faith in Jesus and be circumcised. You had to have faith in Christ, yes, that was important, but you also had to fulfill certain parts of the Mosaic law. Paul says, no. You accept what Christ did for you on the cross, you believe in him, that he was raised again, that he took your sins, and you're saved. You receive it. That's what faith is, this aspect of us just receiving what Christ has done for us. All you have to do to be justified is have faith in what Christ has done for you. And in this justification, this finished work of Christ, we're free. Free from the bonds of sin. Sin is still here, but it doesn't have to rule us. We're free from the fear of death. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 almost taunts death and says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's quoting verses from Isaiah and Hosea there. He says, death has no power over us. We're free also from the tyranny of Satan and all of his little minions who try to divide us and discourage us and deceive us. The Holy Spirit is given to followers in Christ so that we can walk in the newness of life and walk by the Spirit in freedom. Galatians 5, 13 through 14, if you just look over a little bit in your Bible, says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So our freedom that we have in Christ is meant to push us to glorifying God, loving him, loving others, living in a life of service towards others, because Christ has loved us. So Paul goes into explaining this fact we're justified by faith, what it means to live by the Spirit, how living by the Spirit is exceedingly better than gratifying the desires of our flesh that end up waging war on our souls, because we're not meant to experience that evil and that sin, and even if it doesn't seem like it's bad now, eventually it wages war on your soul. So that line of reasoning gets us to where we're at today. Paul's building that and building that, and he gets us to this point in Galatians chapter 6, where he gets very practical and he gives us a specific picture of what it means to live by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. We are called to bear one another's burdens. And as we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. So a question that I ask myself at least immediately is, uh, what is this law of Christ? Because earlier in the book, we learned that we're free from the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. But now there's this law that shows up again. The law that was given to Moses, the Mosaic law, was not able to change our hearts. It gave us rules and regulations that are still good. That is still God's heart and how we should live. But... It showed us, too, how much we cannot live up to God's law in and of ourselves. Moses could not be an intermediary for the people that was appropriate. 
In our power, we cannot follow the law of God completely because our hearts are not able to be changed by the law. So that is why Christ came. He came, he followed the law of God and offered himself for all of the sins of those who couldn't keep it. For all the ways that we break the law, he walked in it perfectly and died for our sins because we could never do either of those things. Well, we could die for our sins, but then we would be banished completely from the presence of God. He offers us in Christ a regenerated heart, empowerment by the Holy Spirit and fulfillment of the law on our behalf. That's what Christ came to accomplish. So in light of this, we're called to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and others as ourselves. In John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that people know you follow Christ is actually if you love one another. In Romans 13, 8 and 10, the Apostle Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Christ loved us, so we love in return. The law of Christ is not easy because it's something that we can do our own. It's only possible because Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. So now, united to him, empowered by the Spirit, we are called to love God and others. Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf and says, now in me and faith in me, you can walk a life of loving. That's what you have to do. The law is summed up and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 2.20, a verse that we could preach a bazillion weeks on, says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. We are united to Christ in his death, and now he lives in us. Pastor John Piper puts this way in talking about this passage. He says, therefore, every command in the law of Christ is a call to faith. Through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the Spirit, we produce the fruit of love. Through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, if you trust him, you will fulfill his law of love. You will devote yourself to lifting the burdens of others. So we see the law of Christ is just this call to love God, to love others, because Christ continues to sustain us. Christ fulfilled the law already, He continues every time we mess up before God the Father. He intercedes for us. A huge doctrine that we forget a lot of the times. He says, nope, I've already taken care of that. I've already taken care of that. We are called to love. And in that, we fulfill the law of Christ. So here in chapter 6, we get very practical. We say, okay, how do we fulfill the law of Christ? How do we do this? Very practically, what are we supposed to do? We're called to bear burdens. Specifically, the burden of our sin can only be carried fully by Christ, right? He bore that 
sin, that guilt, our shame in his body on the cross. The Lord says we can go to him to cast our burdens on him, but in the day-to-day reality of life, as we cast our burdens on the Lord, we have another huge resource, another massive resource that has been given to us to help in this burden-bearing. We're given one another to be instruments of the love of Christ. Instruments of bearing burdens and caring for one another. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout we get these wonderful pictures of what Christ has accomplished. How we're united to him, but we also see many, many pictures of how this how this corporate and transformed body that we are very much united of, united in, is something that we have to take, uh, we have to take into account as we approach one another. We are united to Christ absolutely individually, but also in this way, corporately. That's kind of a confusing thing, but it's really, really powerful. Christ uses his body to heal his body. As members of that body, we're called to bear burdens. We're called to care for one another. When a part of our body is hurting, when it's weighed down, we also, in a very real way, become burdened. We hurt. Paul gives us a good example of this in 2 Corinthians where he's talking about this great affliction he's facing, this affliction he's experiencing. He's saying they have all these external pressures, There's all these things going on outside of them. And inside, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, says, I was just fear, anxiety, immense anxiety. And he says, God, who comforts the downcast, right? Here's this picture. God, who comforts us, comforted us by the coming of Titus. An interesting picture there, right? God comforts him by Titus coming. God comforted Paul and his colleagues through somebody else. Have you ever experienced that? The loving care of a brother or sister who helps alleviate a burden you're carrying? We all will be burdened at one point or another in our lives. If you haven't up to this point, you will. Also, I want to know your secret. (laughs) We all will be burdened. Maybe some of us here today, and in fact, undoubtedly, people here today are burdened by something. There's something we bring to the table. There's something that we cannot carry alone. The word burden here in Galatians 6 uh, is it's a word that is meant to um, show this, this massive weight that we just get crushed under. It's like the teenage boy who walks up to the squat rack and puts a little, a, an extra 45 on each side, walks under it, tries, <laughs> good luck. That's the burden we're talking about. Part of living in a fallen world is the fact that we will encounter things that weigh us down, that beat us up, that challenge our faith. And we need to be the body 
in the body of Christ, we need to be a place where we can both be honest about our burdens and where we're experiencing pain and, and a lot of suffering and where we can also experience the body bearing those burdens for us. It requires both aspects in order to be a transformative community, an effective burden-bearing community. We have to be really, really honest and really, really good at lovingly and graciously asking people how they're really, really doing. I told the 9 a.m., just write really, really to remind yourself in your notes. I emphasize it because we say, well, you know, we really need to be honest, but no, we really really need to be honest when we have burdens that we're bearing. And we really have to enter into those with one another. If we don't do this, I would argue that we will be missing a huge way in which we can fulfill this law of Christ. And we'll be missing a huge way that God uses his people to grow us into maturity as a body together to heal us in the body. But if you notice something interesting about these first couple of verses, verse two gives this general picture, okay, you're supposed to bear burdens. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. But verse one gives us a really specific burden to bear. And it's not a fun one. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So the burden that we are specifically called to bear are these burdens of transgression. Transgression is uh, it's a legal term for uh, an act that goes against a law or a rule or a code of conduct. When we see someone, a brother or sister, caught in, what does it say? In these transgressions? In any transgression. Interesting. We are to seek to restore them. That's pretty powerful. Any transgression, we seek to restore. Now we're going to focus mainly on repentant transgression. We're not going to go down the road that we could go and talk about all these transgressions, right? But even in the sake of unrepentant transgression, our initial reaction is absolutely supposed to be one of restoration. Right? Restoration. So this implies a few things. First, it implies that when someone in our community is transgressing, we don't ignore it. We don't say, man, that's, that's their problem, their issue. God will work that out in their life. None of my business. We're such good Midwesterners here. We, we love to not, not uh, rock the boat, you know. We like to just kind of go our way. They'll figure it out. The reality is, is that uh, that's not what we're called to do. So it implies that we do not ignore it. Also, it implies we don't gossip or tell someone else so they take care of it, right? Gossip is also a very dangerous thing. God gives us a ton of of warnings about it in the scriptures. 
and a quick way to see, sometimes you have to get some guidance from other people, right? But that can also turn into gossip. So this is a quick aside, I'm sorry. But if you ever feel like you or someone else is gossiping, ask yourself this question, would I say this to them if they were here? Right? If someone ever comes to you and starts saying, I got something to tell you, Johnny over here, you stop him and you say, hey, you know what? Johnny's coming over to my house in five minutes. Why don't you just save it? And if they immediately go, whoop, it's probably something that you need to talk about. Probably a little gossip happening there, right? So it implies that we go to the person caught in that transgression. The verb that is used here to restore is called, in the Greek, it's katartizo. I'm not a Greek scholar. We just throw that out there sometimes. It makes me feel a little smarter. I'm not trying to do that. But it is good to dive in to the original language because it gives you a more full picture of what we're trying to get here, right? So it is important. I make a joke, but in reality, knowing Greek is good. Katartizo means to put in order, right? Not just simply restore, but to gives us this picture of putting it in order to restore to its former condition, to the condition that it's supposed to be. The word that is used here is, was used predominantly in, in the medical realm. It was a medical word that was used in dealing specifically with a fractured, you know, broken or a dislocated bone or a joint. And how, how does it say we're supposed to do this restoration? Gently, it says. Anyone in here ever broken a bone? A lot of us have. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> Only one. A lot of us have, right? Or if you've had a dislocation, you know the pain that comes with that, right? Years ago, I was playing in youth football, fourth grade. I was playing defense, and I think I was a safety, and I'm standing way back, and the opposite team threw the ball in the air, which, if you've ever seen youth football, is hilarious because it's almost like you're playing the game 500. You just kind of throw it up and you hope someone catches it. And he throws it in the air and their receiver goes up and our linebacker goes up and he catches the ball and he gets tackled and he falls down and their receiver turns around and immediately I knew something was wrong. Immediately. He rolls over, he's screaming, and I'm going to spare you the details. He broke an arm. Okay? The closest EMS support was a fire station down the road. So we're all, you know, we're kid. This is not also like a, I'm against football or anything. So that's, you know, if your kids want to play football, great. However, be warned, bones get broken. But we're all sitting there like, oh my gosh, what do we do? The closest EMS support was this fire station. They drive their fire engine right onto the field. And they get out, they hop in. And what do you think they do to the kid? Grab him by his face mask and say, let's go, buddy. We got to get you up to the hospital. Not even close. His helmet was already off. One guy goes up and he, he gets down right next to him. He says, hey, look, pal, we're going to help you, okay? We're going to help you. And the other guy comes over and he grabs his arm. He starts this process, not fully, but this process of restoring his bone to where it needed to be. And it was painful, Right? It was very, very painful. But this gives us a great picture of how we are to deal with someone caught in a transgression, caught in sin. We are called to restore in gentleness. 
It says those who are spiritual there in the text. Now, spiritual is not talking about just a special class of Christians, right? It's, he's saying that anyone who is living by and walking by the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't exempt anybody. There's not those people. It's like, well, that's what they do. They're the spiritual ones. No, that's all of us who are walking by the Spirit. Now, Paul is specifically talking here in Galatians probably to those who are a little more experienced and seasoned in the faith, have a little more maturity, which places this burden on those who, who do have some more maturity in the faith to be examples of those who participate in this restorative process. But at the end of the day, we're all called to be those who restore those in sin. Christ redeemed a people for his own possession to walk in the newness of life, to experience joy in the full, and anything that is sinful, contrary to God's holiness, is not something we were made to know. Christ died so that we might find life in him. And as we walk in this already but not yet reality, you know, this already reality where Christ has accomplished everything. Our position in Christ is justified, period. We still experience this residue. It's a word I like to use, this residue of sin. It's just kind of there. Residue kind of is this icky feeling, right? It's just there. And it still causes problems. Bearing the burdens of others that aren't uh, sinful burdens although still hard, can feel sometimes a lot easier, right, than confronting one another in sin. So that's why I think Paul really calls this one out. Uh, But my question is, if you, knowing that Jesus died for your sins and has given you the better way, would you want your friends who see you wrestling with something in your life, a sinful thing, would you want them to not confront you? You may not even like that restoration, but what if they just said, let's just let him figure this out on his own? It can lead to serious, serious trouble. My son, Max, likes to jump on the couch. I also like to jump on the couch, I will admit. Right, buddy? And there's a way that you do that, though, that's appropriate. Uh, I don't really... Come on, people. I'm not, I'm not running around hopping on our couch. But the, He loves to do this. And I'm like, all right, you know, if your back is toward the couch and you stay in one spot, uh, you jump up and drop down, no harm done. But then he likes to t- kind of take some liberty in that. And he, he starts to get running and wild and twirling and sliding on the floor. And then he jumps and I have to tell him, hey, man, cut it out. And if needed, I have to help him stop, and he doesn't like it. He throws a fit. Sometimes he tries to push me away. Bold. (laughs) But in order to love him, see, he doesn't even understand that I'm really trying to care for him. In order to love him, I have to keep gently, sometimes firmly, show him that it's not okay to keep jumping. Because what happens if I just stand by and let him do it? inevitably, and this has happened more than once, he will run and get wild, lose his footing, and slap his head on our concrete slab. 
and it's scary. And it can be very dangerous. In God's grace, that has not happened in its entirety yet to the point where it really hurt him. When we are the ones running around and jumping on the couch, flirting with sin, it is loving for someone to come and say, man, this is not the way we're meant to live. It will lead to disaster, and we probably won't like it. We probably will bristle, and we'll push back and say, you can't tell me what to do. I have this under control. When we're the one who sees our brother or sister caught in a transgression, not sure what to do, we can't sit idly by because there's too much harm that can come. The reality is walking in a transformative community is not easy. The Christian community is one that seeks the growth of each other individually, but also corporately. You can't separate the two. The Spirit is transforming a people into the image of Christ. As we walk day to day in the body of Christ, we're playing a part in that. But as we go about this, there are some, uh, some dangers that come. So we see, we see Paul kind of intersperse this throughout this section. We see in verse 1, and this is where we're going to move a little faster. We're not going to spend as much time on each, each point here. But we see in verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. In verse 3 through 5, for if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Paul understands that in bearing loads, specifically in the context of those caught in transgressions, there is a real danger of pride that we have to be on guard against if we're going to go about this process of burden bearing. Specifically in the process of really, really bearing burdens of those caught in sin. This, price, this pride looks like a couple of different things. First, we cannot go around walking thinking we're special and going to be exempt from sin ourselves. It's easy to walk around and act as if we're not that sinful, but to see it in everybody else, right? It's easy to feel good about ourselves, like, man, we're really good at gently restoring. You know, we, we call people out in their sin, we do that well in a loving, gentle way, but we cannot forget in all reality that we too have sin in our life and we can't just brush it under the rug because we're helping other people in their bigger sins. Sometimes we just don't realize how close we are to falling into sin, right? We see that all the time. Sin is crouching at the door. <laughs> There's another side of pride, though, and it's not the pride that thinks we're better than other people, per se. It's not the, I, need to, uh, I don't need any help in my struggles, I'm just going to go helping people. It's a kind of pride that's a little more sneaky, it's a little more timid, it's a little more passive, and it's a pride that says, I'm a little bit of afraid of what they're going to do. I don't really feel like it's my place, Maybe I even feel just a little bit above it. So they don't need my, I know they don't need my help. I don't want to help them. I'm, I'm a little better than that. That plays out in a lot of different ways, and we can't exhaust all the ways that this passive pride plays out. But verse 3 is the most 
in-your-face confrontation of any kind of pride that we can possess. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul is saying, like, you, in and of yourself, remember, are nothing. You deceive yourself. We are only something in Christ. I think Chris mentioned last week, pride's, you know, not just thinking either we're better than someone else or, uh, or that we're, essentially pride is us just thinking about ourselves too much, is what I'm trying to say. That's what pride is, thinking about ourselves too much, whether we think we're better than or we think this is going to affect me too much and I've got to preserve that. Verse 4 and 5 seem a little confusing at a quick glance, but continues to drive home this, uh, this point that Paul is trying to make in Galatians 6. It says, But let each one test his own work, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Here Paul is confronting again those who walk around. They like to walk around confronting so that people will think there's something special, right? There's something special. Man, they're really good at that. And they like that feeling. Oh, I like being approved by people, so I'm going to go around and I'm going to bear some burdens so people see how good I am. It's so dangerous. But what the message of Galatians is trying to get across constantly is this picture also of God's grace and the fact that we deserve zip pride, or excuse me, zip praise. And our pride is always creeping, creeping trying to take that glory away from the Lord. All that matters is we're faithful to God. Martin Luther says in his commentary on Galatians, which is, in my opinion, probably the best commentary out there on Galatians, because all he does is take the gospel and see how Galatians, how it is applied in Galatians and just, just wafts it into your head. So if you get a chance, get that book. It's great. But he says this on this specific passage, Do not seek your own glory or rely on people's praise. Instead, let your care be to do your work as God desires, teaching the gospel purely. He's talking specifically here to uh, those who are ministering the gospel, pastors and stuff, but this applies to all of us. We're all ministers of the gospel. Teaching the gospel purely. If your work is sincere and sound, be sure that you will not lack for praise before God or among godly people. And if you're not commended by the ungrateful world, don't let that upset you. For you know that the purpose of your ministry is that Christ, not you, should be glorified by it. Overall, what Paul is implying in and throughout is this need to remember that if we ever think we're too good to help bear a certain burden, we're nothing. If we ever think we're too good to either do that or if we think they need us to bear that only, we're nothing. The gospel of Jesus flies in the face of any sort of pride we can have. If you put your faith in Christ today, there needs to be a constant reminder in your life that you did nothing to deserve that grace. Nothing. So to walk around either seeking to bear burdens so that people will praise you or to feel better about yourself or acting like you have sin, or if you ignore bearing burdens because you're too timid about your own, uh, you're, you're too scared about what it's going to do to affect you, then we're thinking we're something. But only in Christ, like I just mentioned, are we actually something. Paul says, get your eyes off your own comfort, your gain, look to Jesus. Glorify him. We are responsible 
only for how we respond to Jesus before the Lord. So that's, in a weird way, a very freeing thing. The Holy Spirit is in you, Christian, and wants to bear fruit in your life. And at the end of the day, all we are are instruments in the hands of the Lord as he's working on people's souls. So all of this, to sum up, to end, begs this question, how do I bear these burdens? I mean, there's so, much, there's so much out there. There's so much I'm not equipped for. There's so much that I'm not able to speak into. And the answer that I have for you is simple. However, I am not saying that it is simplistic or easy to carry out. What I want to encourage you with today is that you do have something to offer to those who have a burden in any situation, in any, any transgression someone's caught up in, you have something to offer. And this is that we point people to the great burden bearer, Jesus Christ. We meet practical needs, no doubt. We learn how to and grow in our ability to counsel God's word and apply the gospel to people's lives. We do that. But in and through constant prayer and in the context of community life, the most important thing we can do is point people to Jesus and the implications of what he has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what we center everything around. If we bear burdens by just trying to alleviate symptoms, we miss the point. People need to know and be confronted with Christ, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for them. And people's anxiety, we can pray for and share about the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding. To actually pray that they would experience that. In our fears, we can remind people God's love is unfailing and is going to bring to completion his work that he started in your life. As we walk along people in our grief and sorrow, we remind Jesus is our great comforter who knows your pain. He knows it. He knows your pain. He sympathizes with you. He walks with you. And he gives you the body to walk alongside you. And in our sin, we remind people that they were created for something so much more than being bound by this sin. Remind them that Christ bore that sin. He cleansed us. And even when we fail as brothers and sisters in Christ to help bear these burdens, we remember ourselves. Those of us who are administering this care, we remember, you know what? You're not going to bear it perfectly. So you too need to be pointed to the person who bore all of our burdens in perfection. And that is Christ. The good news is that Jesus first loved us. And we can love him in return and our neighbor as ourself only because of that. That order matters. He loved us first. We help alleviate burdens by remembering our burden has been carried by Christ. What we offer other people is Jesus. Fulfilling the law of Christ is this process of alleviating these in love, not adding more burdens to one another. To be a transformative community. We have to be a community that looks at one another in the love and the power of Christ, dying to our pride in whatever form that it takes, and being constantly aware of how we can be participants 
and the alleviation of the burdens that are in our midst. Jesus in Matthew 11 gives us this wonderful call in approaching burdens, right? Matthew uh, verses 28 through 30. This is the great burden-bearing passage. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me. He's right here. Come to me. All of you out there who are laboring, right? All of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what is offered to us today. Whether you've never experienced that or you have and need to be reminded of it, I pray that we would be a transformative community that constantly points one another back to the fact that Christ has said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for this day. Again, just thankful that we were able to survive the snooze button this morning, come and be able to sing together, to worship together, to learn how you alleviate our burdens perfectly and how we are called to be a part of that, uh, that burden bearing in this body. I pray that we would be uh, very honest with one another about the sin both in our lives and towards one another in a way that is gentle and in a way that is loving and in a way that seeks restoration, not our own gain. I pray you would slay our pride and that we would be a place that walks by your Holy Spirit in the rock-solid foundation of Christ and remembering that we are justified in him alone, by your grace alone. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.